Okay, Galatians 5, 1, just one verse. Galatians 5, 1 as we continue to work through the book of Galatians. Somewhat like the book of Ephesians, you have three chapters of doctrine, three chapters of application. Well, Galatians has four chapters of doctrine, and then five and six, two chapters of application, how this applies to our lives. And so now we're entering into the application to our lives. Um, all right, so let me read the verse, and, and we'll work from there. Just the one verse. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. All right. <clears throat> so years ago, 1997, 1997, I was standing in the yard of some folks, and we were leaning over the pickup, as guys do, leaning over the bed of the pickup. And I don't know the guy. I have no idea anymore what his name was. I didn't know him at the time. But he says to me, he looks across the pickup truck, and he says, do you want a beer, or are you still under the law? Okay. So you know the implication. The implication was talking about vices, and the implication is if you're free, then you're free. You can drink if you like to drink. That was his implication. I don't even know what happened with that conversation, but I just remember that part. Now, that's vices. Now let me give you moral law. So, 1996, I came to Fort Worth, and I knew no one, but I knew I was going to go to church, and there's a church called Southcliff Baptist Church right there on Interstate 20. Uh, the pastor wasn't, it was a visiting speaker. Um, I didn't know any of that, but I went. But the point is this. The man who spoke wrote a book, and apparently he gave the book away because I didn't have two pennies to rub together, so I know I didn't buy it. And so I had the book on my shelf forever. Uh, I read part of it this week. But in the book, <clears throat> talking about moral law, talking about grace, we just sang about grace, he said <clears throat> there was a couple that came to his office. Their marriage wasn't going well. Their lives weren't being fulfilled, and they weren't as happy as they ought to be. And they were explaining to their pastor that the reason was is because they weren't committed to church. They only came about once a month, and they decided between themselves that they were going to come every Sunday for a year, no matter what. They weren't missing, no matter what happened. They were telling the pastor, we're going to be here 52 Sundays. Now, he didn't respond, but in the book he responds. In the book, he was sad because these people had set up a system of legalism that he knew they could not fulfill. And he knew that if they set this kind of goal to come every Sunday, something would happen, they would break it, they'd get discouraged, they would quit. And actually, he went on to say the couple eventually did quit and joined a church closer to the house where they could somehow fulfill their obligation of making it every Sunday. That one has to do with the moral law. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Vices and moral law. That's just an introduction, but we will visit that again in a little bit later in the sermon. 
All right, what has been accomplished here in our text? What do we know? We know this, Christ has set us free. But it does beg the question, does it not? Free from what? Or maybe I could say, free from who? Because if I answer the question wrongly, it's going to get me into some weird theology and doctrine. So when we answer that we're free, what does that mean? You know, if we look up a lexical definition, which is not too hard to do, freedom, the state of being free, that's so helpful. Uh, uh, freedom, but here it takes a little different flavor. He says, freedom which stands in contrast to being constrained by the Mosaic law. Oh, so are you implying that I'm free from the Mosaic law by that definition? Some will take it that way. I would agree in my disagreement. I agree that I'm free from the Mosaic law in the, as, in the aspect of gaining salvation. I can't keep the law to be saved. The law just shows me I'm guilty. And so I'm free from the law in obtaining salvation because salvation is all grace, which is the context of Galatians. You don't have to get circumcised. No need to do that. You're saved by grace. Live by grace. Okay. Uh, another uh, definition, to call someone to be freed from domination, set free. I don't know that any of that is very helpful to me. I still need to answer this question about what I'm set free from. All right, let me give you a few implications of some things that we know. There's a few things that we might quibble over, but here's some things that we can know for sure. And these come from other texts. I'm not going to make you look them up. I'm not going to read them all. You can write down the references if you like. Romans 6, 17 and 18, we are delivered from the power of sin. Sin doesn't have power over the Christian anymore. It doesn't reign over me. Christ reigns over me. Hebrews 10, 22, deliverance from an accusing conscience. My conscience is clean. I've been redeemed by Christ, and I've been forgiven. So my conscience is not haunting me about what's going to happen on Judgment Day because my conscience has been absolved by the blood of Christ. Okay? Hebrews 10.27, Romans 5.1, we are delivered from the wrath of God. As a believer, you will never take one drop of the wrath of God upon your life. Ever. You're free because Christ absorbed that wrath in your place. Okay, I, I, I'm, I'm good with that. Also, 2 Timothy 2.26 and Hebrews 2.14, we're delivered from the tyranny of Satan. Who is it that brings the charge against God's elect? Look, you, the devil does not have the final say upon the believer. I'm not under his tyranny no more. The devil attacks me, I refer him to my boss. Right? So we're delivered from that tyranny. The lost person stays under that tyranny and without conversion for all of eternity. But deliverance from, those things are negative. Those negative things we were in bondage to. Deliverance from negative places us in the positive. It's not just delivered from the negative and then placed in neutrality, 
but a positive standing. So in Galatians, we would word it this way. We can now what? We can now walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.25. This way of walking in the Spirit prevents fleshly gratification. Galatians 5.22 and 23, you know this. We can now, by the Spirit, produce the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, the list goes on. We can now produce those. We're free to do the positive. You can love to the max. You can have joy to the max. All of those things of the Spirit, you can freely exercise all of those. We can do the will of God with joy and gratitude. Galatians 5.14. For the unbeliever, the law or the commandments of God are restricting their joy killers. For the Christian, I can do God's will with joy, with gratitude. Gives me great joy to obey my Lord. Our Galatians 6.2, we can in principle fulfill the law of Christ. Before conversion, I couldn't do that. But now that I've been set free, I can fulfill the law of Christ. He says it there in Galatians. And then also uh, Romans 7.22, I jumped out of Galatians for this one, but we can delight in the law of God. Before we had no delight, it was like all God's laws said, you can't do what you want to do, and, and, and everything was like closing me off, hemming me in, and boxing me in, and I couldn't really live. It was all restraint. But now, as a Christian, the law doesn't seem to restrain me, it seems to free me, cause me to be able to live to the fullest. All right, those are a few implications of the freedom. Now, what are we freed from? I think there's some errors here, maybe some clarifications as we work along. Some want to teach the law has no force in the life of a Christian, and they say what? We are under grace. I believe that, but I don't believe that. So there's, there's, you have to be careful The Galatians, these ones who have come to conversion, are saved by grace. Now, they're trying to push this law on them that they're supposed to be circumcised. No, you're saved by grace, live by grace. But one plus one doesn't always equal two. I'm saved by grace, I live by grace, does not equal that I can live without law. Hold those thoughts. There is some truth to the thought that's being ushered, and I'm all for grace. But if you push grace too far, it becomes misleading. You say, how so? You push grace far enough, and you'll be antinomian. What's an antinomian? Against law, without law, live in the flesh as you jolly well please. Nothing in the Bible is going to confirm that position. We'll look at that in just a moment. Let's say we're certainly free from the law in regards to obtaining salvation. Certainly, we are saved by grace. The Christian has a new nature, and now we have a love for the law of God. Not as a means of gaining his favor, but as the best way to live. This is where it's tricky, and I said it this morning. 
You don't do the memory verses every month to gain God's favor. You don't do the memory verses every month in order that you can be accepted into heaven. When you start having a list of do's to gain God's favor, you've left grace. We have to be cautious there. But it's still right to memorize Scripture. But whether I get it memorized this month or not, I'm still his child. And I'm still righteous because my righteousness is in Christ. And so I do fail and I do come up short, but I'm forgiven in Christ. But don't take that thought so far that it means that I'm not under obligation to obey the commands of God. In my home, now I know earthly illustrations don't work with heavenly illustrations and they break down, but just to make some sort of a point. In my home, when I was growing up, the typical pattern was my dad left on Sunday night to go to work and he came home at midnight on Thursday night. He worked four tens all over the country and so he would drive Sunday evening, drive back Thursday night. My dad would say something like this to me. He'd say, son, take out the trash this week while I'm gone, mow the yard, and don't give no lip to your mama. They're pretty clear rules, okay? I understood the rules. Granted, I'm with you. I should take out the trash, and I should mow the yard, and I shouldn't give lip to my mama, and I should do those things that Dad said because I love him. And I should do those things because I want to be pleasing to my father. And so my dad drives in Friday morning, and he gets up, and I say, Dad, look at the yard. And he's like, oh, son, it looks good. Dad, I did the lines this way instead of this way this time. Do you like that? And if he was happy, it made me happy. That's a good thing. And, 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 and mom says to him, man, Randall's been good all week. I don't have to get on to him one time. I'm happy. Dad's happy. That's a great way to live. But let's be honest. I like to play basketball and I like to fish a lot more than I like mowing the yard. Right? So some weeks I didn't take out the trash and I didn't mow the yard. Should I have done duty for duty's sake? Here's, let's try this with my dad. Some of you might know my dad. Back in his younger days, he was a lot stronger and a lot more tough in, in so many physical ways. So my dad comes home, and I didn't take out the trash. I didn't mow the yard, and me and mom fought all week. And dad says, what's wrong with you? And I say, dad, don't worry about it. No matter what you say or what you do, I'm your son. You can't change that. How's that going to go? I don't know about your daddy. I can only speak for my daddy. But something on my back end is going to begin to hurt before this conversation's over. No matter what I do, I can't change that I'm a son. But dear Christian, there are consequences to disobedience to your heavenly father. Have you not read like in, in Hebrews it says... He disciplines those whom he loves. What does he discipline them for? What, what, what correction is there to be given? Well, it's correction for disobedience. Disobedience to what? Well, maybe what he commanded in Scripture. Ah, so there is an importance to the law, and there's an importance to keeping the law, because there's consequences and discipline that comes when it is not kept. Is it not that our will is free, but our conscience is free? It's not I get to live in one sense, 
however I want to, but I can certainly live with a clean conscience, freed from that condemning conscience. Let me give it to you as John Stott. John Stott don't say everything right, but I think this is worded well. John Stott said, quote, the Christian freedom he describes is freedom of conscience, freedom from the tyranny of the law, the dreadful struggle to keep the law with a view to winning the favor of God. It is the freedom of acceptance with God and of access to God through Christ. You are free to go to God every day. You're free to walk into His presence. You're free to enter heaven. All those things are true. And certainly, though, there is accountability when we rebel against our Maker. Now, Paul is certain that we are freed from something else. This is good news. This is a great absolute as a Christian. You are freed from the curse of the law. You will never be damned by the law of God ever. You're freed. You say, well, how so? Well, you remember back in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did he do that? He became a curse for us. It's written, cursed is everyone who hangs upon the tree. There is no final damnation coming from God upon you no matter what happens in your life as a Christian. Now, if you're not a Christian, that's another story. But if you're a Christian, God is never going to damn you. Your conscience is good. You, you walk into heaven as a child. That's good. I rejoice in that. I'm thankful for that. But I'm not going to take that to mean I can live in the flesh however I jolly well please. All right, you say, why not? Okay, I'm glad you asked. If we think about vices that I used in the introduction, if I think about the moral law that I used in the introduction, let's look at a couple of more things in the Bible. In Galatians chapter 5, the same chapter, look over there at verse 13. Let's see if we get clarity. For you were called to freedom. Amen. That's what verse 1 said. We're called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom to gratify your flesh. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. No, rather, here's what you do. In love, keep the other six moral law commandments. First four are to God. The second six are to man. Love one another. That's what those other six are, whether it's your parents, whether it's your wife, whether it's your neighbor. Okay, so I'm free to keep the six commandments that relate to humanity, to love them. Don't use it for my flesh, but I'm going to use my freedom for a distinct purpose, to in love to serve you. To put you before me and obey the command. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, I don't have a lot of these, but let me give you a couple more. First, Peter says the same thing. He says, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. I have to ask the question, then what's evil? 
Well, if, if I can't use my freedom as a cover-up for evil, I need to define evil. What's evil? Lying. What's evil? Dishonoring your parents. What's evil? Idolatry. What's evil? Adultery. What's evil? Coveting. How do I know that? Because the moral law told me so. I can't use my freedom as a cover-up to live in contrariness to the moral law. He says, he finishes the verse, 1 Peter 2, 16, but live as servants of God. All right, and then 1 Peter 4, 3, um, uh, help me stop quickly here because I get talking about alcohol. We won't never get out of here. But 1 Peter 4, 3, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Now, the previous verse had to do with the moral law. This has to do with vices. You, you can do the old vices. You can do alcohol. You can do cigarettes. You can do dancing. You can do scratching lotto tickets. You can go through whatever all the vices are. Uh, am I free to scratch my lottery ticket? Am I free to smoke a joint? I mean, if Texas says smoking marijuana is legal, then am I free to smoke marijuana? These discussions go on. Am I free to drink alcohol? Can I have one beer, two beers, ten beers? All, the, all those discussions. I don't know. Let's ask Peter. The time before your conversion... You had sufficient amount of time for all those vices. You had plenty of time to do all of that. that, that that's past doing what Gentiles want to do. You say, what'd they do? Well, they lived in sensuality. They lived in passions. They lived in drunkenness. They lived in orgies. They lived in, uh, ESV translates it, uh, topos. It's a, a drinking parties. You know what a drinking party is by a lexical definition? It's going to a place where alcohol is served, where they have a party and they serve alcohol. You've had enough time before conversion for all that nonsense. You've been brought out of that. And also lawless idolatry. Yeah, patas, drinking party. All that's in the past. All these vices, we're done with that. We're now free for what? I don't know. Godliness? Holiness? Purity? being set apart. I mean, we're free to be Christ image bearers. Paul says it this way in Romans 13, 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, not in sensuality, not in quarreling and not in jealousy. Whatever you understand freedom to mean, it cannot be freedom to gratify fleshly desires, no more than it can be freedom to live in contrariness to the moral law of God. Can't be that, because Scripture denies that. Now, again, I'm trying to be cautious. We're not saying that you do something to gain salvation, do something to gain favor. We're saying that's all by grace. And in Christ, that's who we are. You do not have to get circumcised after this sermon is over. You don't have to go do one of these legal requirements and put this on here to be a super Christian. You don't have to quote the memory verse out loud every Sunday and check every block on the envelope they used to put in the pew rack to be a good Christian. You have to believe Christ to be a Christian. As a Christian, how do we live? I don't know. Let's ask Jesus. Let's see what Jesus says to this subject. If you love me. Isn't being a Christian, being in love with Christ? 
Well, if you love me, then keep my commandments. Well, that's the difficulty. Now, here's where it gets a little difficult, right? I know we should serve the Lord because we love him, because we delight in him, and because he's worthy. Are you with me? We love Jesus. We delight in Jesus. He's worthy. And so that's why you should do what you do. That's the right motive. You come to church today. I don't know why you came. God knows. I hope you came because you delight in Jesus and you heard that he would be preached here. I hope you came because you love him. I hope you came because he's worthy to you and you just wanted to honor him by being here, being present, and singing his praises. I'm good with all of that. But what do I do when I don't feel like it? What about on days when I don't feel like I love him? What about days when I don't delight in him? What about days when I haven't considered his worthiness? What do I do on those days? Do I do duty for duty's sake? Or do I say, I'm free and I don't have to do anything? That's where it gets difficult. So we go back to my dad. and say the same illustration again. I want to play basketball and I want to go fishing and I don't want to mow the yard. When I mowed the yard, I kicked the lawnmower. I half-heartedly pulled the cord because I had a push mower and I prayed that it wouldn't crank because I didn't want to mow. And it was hot and I didn't care about stupid grass, right? But for duty's sake, I'm going to do it if the lawnmower starts. And I do it. You with me? Anybody can relate to this, right? And so I'm pushing this mower against my will because my daddy told me to. Well, that's not the way you should do it. I know, but that's the way I'm doing it. My daddy comes home Thursday night. He gets up Friday morning. He looks outside and he says, son, yard looks good. Thanks, dad. I'm happy. Everything about it was wrong, but in following what my dad said, there was still blessing in it. Where am I going with this? I didn't want to get up this morning. I didn't want to come to church. I didn't want to read my Bible. I didn't want to pray. I didn't want to evangelize. I didn't want to sing. I'm depressed. I'm downcast. I'm having a bad day. But God said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And I came to church and they sang this song. And all of a sudden I was happy. And then the preacher was preaching and he said this line that I will never be damned by God. And I was so thankful I came. Everything about my coming was wrong. It was all for duty's sake, but God honored obedience. My position is when your feelings and your emotions don't work, just do what's right till they catch up. Just do what's right because the sovereign of the universe has told us what is right. Now, I want to say also it's a unique freedom. When, and I say it this way, when a man who is surely guilty is declared to not be guilty by the judge, he's a free man. He walks out of the court. He's been declared not guilty. When a slave is emancipated, he's free. He doesn't have to report to the slave owner anymore. But that's not what we're talking about. In both cases, the judge or the slave owner I can tell you what they don't do. They don't adopt the guilty person. Not only 
are we declared not guilty, but our Father adopts us into His family. We become a part of the family of God. Not guilty, and we become sons under His care. And also, let me say this, and we'll, the other two points are vastly shorter, but it, it's not a transfer from one bondage to another. I, I sometimes like to watch Andy Griffith. Sometimes it's a little goofy, and I turn it off. But uh, I like o- Otis, you know, I don't know why, because he's goofy and comes in, he locks his own self up in jail. He gets drunk all the time. And he has to come sleep it off. He's got his own bed. I mean, it's kind of, you've seen it probably, but it's quite funny. But sometimes he comes in and he, he gets in his cell and they have some kind of snafu and they got to put him in the other cell. And they put him out and put him over there and put this guy in this cell. And he complains and gripes, this is my cell. Why are you taking me out of my cell to put you in this cell? It, 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 for us, we're not being transferred from one cell to another. It's like these Galatians were in the slavery of paganism, and we're going to take them out of the cell of paganism by grace, and we're going to take them over here to the cell of Judaism and lock them up over here. That's not, we're not going from one cell to another. Christ, for freedom, has set us free. You don't have to go from one cell to the other cell. You really are free. Or maybe if you don't like that one, It's like a dog on a chain being moved to a fenced-in yard. He's still locked up. That's not what we're saying. No, no, no. It's like the warden setting us free and adopting us into his own family in which we inherit everything he owns. That's what it is. Now, ironically, for those who don't think we have to keep commands... We don't have to keep laws, precepts, statutes, and commands. They say we're free. Ironically, would you please look at the verse? For freedom Christ has set us free. The next two words is one Greek word, and it's going to say, stand firm. Yeah, you guessed, it's a command. So I don't have to keep the commands of God, and then he follows that freedom with a command from God. Do you not think he expects you to obey it? Stand therefore, stand firm. That's the command that is given to you. To be firmly committed in conviction or belief. Like Paul said to the Thessalonians, So then, brothers, stand firm. Hold on to the traditions you were taught by us, by spoken word or by letter. The perseverance that is implied is the fight against re-enslavement. I'm going to stand firm. I'm not going back to paganism, and I'm not going back to Judaism. I'm going to stay where Christ would have me to stay, balanced in the gospel. Saved by grace, living by grace, and obeying the commands of God because I love Him. It's a balance. I'm resolved never to go back to paganism. Resolved never to go back to Jewish legalism, or Baptist legalism for that matter. I'm not going back. It's a blessed communion of walking in obedience with our Lord. What does Paul mean by to stand firm? Let me give you a couple of applications or illustrations that may help you. It's like a soldier fighting to hold one's ground rather than to be taken back into captivity. It's like a sailor. When he reaches the point of a destination, he ties up the boat or he anchors it where it doesn't drift back to where he was. It's like being trapped in the bottom of a well and you hold on to the rope while they pull you out lest you fall back to the bottom. Theologically, 
to fight for biblical understanding of who God is rather than to be caught up in the liberalism of our culture. Or historically, we could say Martin Luther, here I stand. I can do no other. He is unwilling to go back to the slavery of a monk under a popish anarchy. I'm going to stand even if you kill me. It's resolved. It's obedient. It's committed. It's firm. strong. It's a position. It's what men do. This is where I'm at. Saved by grace. I live under grace. And I find the law of God, precepts of God, statutes of God, and the commands of God beautiful in helping me to live. Right? Not restrictive in any way. All for your good. You say, but that doesn't make sense. Go to the zoo, and they got a lion cage. And it says, do not enter. And stand there all day and see how many people stand before the cage and go, they're really, they're really just robbing me of life. I mean, they're really squashing what I want to do. No, they're thankful that there's a warning. Because it's for their good. What God has commanded is not restrictive. It's for your benefit. That's why, I mean, if you, hello. That's why David talks this way. Oh, how I love your law. I love it. It's my meditation. Look, I'm trying to memorize Psalm 119. And I'm like, how can you spend any time in that one chapter and not see an overabiding love for the law of God, the statutes of God, the testimonies of God, uh, the commandments of God? They bring you out of depression. They save you from enemies. They give you light. They show you which way to walk. It's wonderful. So when people talk to me and talk about the law being negative, I wonder what book they read. Not this one. And do not be entangled, he says in verse 1 again. Don't submit again. Don't be entangled uh, to this yoke of slavery. Don't put the yoke on again. An interesting thought here. An ox wears the yoke until he can pull no more. And then what? They slaughter him. That's all that does, this trying to gain favor by obedience is just going to kill you. So don't exchange the yoke of paganism for the yoke of Judaism. Peter said this at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. He said, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Put that back on. I'll give you a yoke. You want a yoke? Here's a great one. Matthew 11. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Gladly wear the yoke of Christ. You say, what did Christ do with the law? He kept every bit of it. Spoke every word his father told him to spoke, went everywhere his father told him to go. He lived his life in absolute obedience and he lived life to the absolute full. We can learn from him. And then lastly, it's not really from the text per se, but antipathy. Antipathy means a strong feeling of dislike. Antipathy to taxes. I really don't like paying taxes. Let me just say to you tonight, as you think about law and freedom, this whole subject matter, you should strongly dislike a works-based salvation. So I don't get along with Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses and any other religion. I, I I, I, I dislike it greatly to think that I can work my way into heaven somehow. 
We should strongly dislike teaching that adds and subtracts from the gospel. Be opposed to it. We should strongly dislike, now watch, I'll do both. We should strongly dislike antinomianism, living without law. But you should strongly dislike legalism. I don't want either. I don't want to live, I lived in a culture of legalism and guilt trips and all of these things. And it's a miserable way to live. But what I'm trying to present to you now is not legalism. It's not what it is. And I hope that you understand that. Application, some say that you have to speak in tongues to be a Christian. I don't. I don't have to. I'm not ever going to. Some say you have to walk an aisle to the front of the church to be saved. No, you don't. My dad was saved in his pickup truck on the side of the road listening to a cassette tape. I don't have to perform to your little operation to get saved. I don't have to repeat this prayer in this little verbiage that you gave me. I can just say, Lord, have mercy on me. Work for the guy in the Bible, right? Some say that you do not have to keep the law anymore now that you're a Christian. What kind of Christianity lives in opposition to the law? What is that? Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. John says, they're not a burden. Some say that you're now free to live how you want to live. Exactly. And I want to live in a way that honors God because he's my sovereign. And I want to submit to him even when I don't feel like it. He's a good God. And even when I submit and don't want to, if I just be obedient, somehow he has a way of just working on my heart to get me to where I need to be. Lastly, keep in mind that a bird, when it flies, is most free. And a fish, when it swims, is most free. And a Christian who lives in accordance to the law of God is most free. Why? Because you're created to worship. You're created to delight in the law of God. And you're created to be satisfied in Christ. And that's where fullness of life is found. So concluding tonight, free from the curse, free from condemnation, free from works-based righteousness, free from performance-based love, free from legalism, free from antinomianism, free from the fear of man, free from man-made rules, free from guilt, free from Pharisees, free from eternal judgment, free, free, free at last, free to live to the glory of God, the delight of God, the beauty and the wonder of God, the delight of walking in harmony with his laws, precepts, statutes, and testimonies and commandments. The Apostle John says, what? I have no greater joy. My max joy is when I hear that my children are walking in truth. Ah, what is truth? I think it's here in the law of God, the commandments of God, and the statutes of God. That's the way we've been designed to live. It's not restrictive. You lay down at night with a clean conscience. Lay down at night forgiven. You lay down at night knowing that if you wake up dead, you'll wake up at home. Amen? The Lord gives His beloved sleep. Father in heaven, thank you. I hope that I didn't muddy up a great and beautiful truth here. Lord, I know there's lots of books, lots of talks on the internet about these types of things. And Lord, frankly, I don't care too much about it all. But Lord, I, I do see these things in Scripture.
And they're very helpful. God saved me from being legalistic. I know it's a danger for me. Lord, for others, it's a danger to be more antinomian. Save them from that. Lord, there's always a balance to your truths. Help us to be somewhere in the middle, walking hand in hand with your beloved Son for his glory and for our good. Lord, I do thank you for the day. It's been a challenge for me, I would say, uh, just physically. But Lord, it's been good. And I know a lot of people out of town, a lot of people do different things, a lot of other things going on. But Lord, I've had a good day with these brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm glad that you allowed us to have this day together. Uh, Lord, my daughter and grandkids are in Alaska and Illinois. And, uh, but I have a family here that I can laugh with, I can pray with, and uh, I can cry with. And I'm thankful for the family you've given me. And I pray these things by your Spirit. In Christ's name, amen.